Greetings and welcome to Gumbo the Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Gary, and Gumbo the Podcast highlights Africa and its many manifestations from the perspective of African people globally. Focusing on culture and history, its purpose is to educate, empower, connect, and to liberate the African diaspora. On today's episode, which I'm super excited about, we'll be discussing Kwanzaa, its importance, as well as Nguzo Saba in practice. So some of you may know that Kwanzaa was created by Dr. Malana Karanga and may not necessarily know what it's about. And so today, hopefully you'll get a better understanding of Kwanzaa and why it's really, really important. We'll be looking specifically at Nguzo Saba, which is the Swahili terminology for the seven principles. And so there are seven days of Kwanzaa with each day representing a particular principle that was created and defined by uh, Dr. Karanga. I personally see Kwanzaa as a response to what we as African people around the world need in order to build our communities, to strengthen our communities, and ultimately to achieve liberation. And so it's a very, very important holiday, um, but it's also a very misunderstood holiday. I know just recently, maybe about a month ago, I was actually um, researching some things on Kwanzaa and I was uh, uh, like astounded by the amount of misinformation. I mean, I know they were telling people how to light the candles, but they were lighting them in the wrong order. Um, they were calling the canara something different. Um, they weren't really talking about the colors and what the colors represented, the red, black, and green. Um, but they weren't, you know, <clears throat> actually talking about the true representations of each of those colors. And so um, I'm hoping that today's episode will not only like, avoid some of these misconceptions and share light on them but to really help us to understand as African people why it's so important to celebrate Kwanzaa and put Nguzo Saba into practice not just during the Kwanzaa season but throughout every day of the year and so um, our guests today will be sharing their experiences with and knowledge of Kwanzaa as it relates to these various principles and so I'm super excited to welcome everybody um we're actually joined by three awesome guests. Um, the first one being Marimere Barberena. The second one is Tariq Richardson. And the third one is Stacey Allen. Um, so Marimere is a PhD student in Africology um, at Temple University. And her MA thesis was about the Latin American and Caribbean diaspora at the Graduate Center of CUNY. And it consisted of the Gaga Orara in New York City and the initiative of the Hermanidad or excuse me, Ermandad, cultural Gagapal Pueblo as a means of healing, community, and resistance by mainly Dominican migrants in the United States. And her academic interest lies in all that bounds um, Afro-Indo-Latin America and the African contributions to Latin America and the Caribbean, such as Santeria, Rastafari, Liberty, culture-making processes, political, spiritual manifestations, social history theory, uh, to mention just a few. And her teaching experience includes the teaching of Caribbean culture and society, sociology, and Africology. And she's been a part of community groups and projects such as Gagapal Pueblo, Popo Wood Itinerant, um, Itinerant, and Mexicanos de Rostro Desconocido, and Smart Action. <laughs> so brushing up on some of my Spanish reading that. Um, our second guest is Tariq Richardson. And he's a student of Maleficeti Asante, Amamazama, and Kamani Nahusi, working on finishing his PhD at Temple University's Distinguished Department of Africology. And yes, that is distinguished. I'm also a part of that department, along with Marimere. 
Um, Tariq comes from a family who for the past three generations has been dedicated to the study of African culture and history and the political upliftment of the black community. Tariq has conducted research on topics such as Afrocentric education, African identity, cultural imperialism, and African history, and has presented his findings across the country. In his first year in, in graduate school, Tariq received the uh, Stephen Cuvillon Award and has gone on to become the editor-in-chief of the MOTEP Research Journal and the Judy, uh, the Jehudi and Seshat Newsletter and the spokesperson for the graduate students in the Department of Agriculture at Temple University. Tariq has the, had the honor to study and learn at the feet of Maleficati Asante, Akwazi Aseno, uh, Mokaya Bosar, or is it Bosire? I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. Ama Mazama, Milana Karanga, who we're going to be talking about today um, with Kwanzaa, Nada, Bobby Steele, Kamani Mahusi, Haki, Marabuti, Mario Bidi, Sonia Peterson Lewis, and Leonard Jeffries. Yes, I'm excited reading these bios. And last but not least, we have uh, Stacey Allen, who's a dancer, a dance artist, and educator from Houston, and dance educator from Houston, Texas, living with her husband and three beautiful children. Yes, they are beautiful. <laughs> And Stacy earned a BA in dance from Sam Houston State University and an MA in cross-cultural studies for University of Houston Clear Lake, where her research focus includes or included dance anthropology. And Stacy has been a dance educator for over 10 years. From a variety of life experiences, including motherhood, Stacy began her newest artistic endeavor, Nia's Daughters Movement Collective, which we'll also be talking about today, as Nia is one of those amazing principles of Kwanzaa. So I'm really, really excited to have all three of y'all here today. And so let's go ahead and jump into the conversation. So we'll start off with Mari Mayer. And so our first principle in Nguzo Sabo, our first principle of Kwanzaa is Umoja, which means unity. So Mari Mayer, can you tell us a little bit about your experiences with Umoja and your um, practice of Umoja? Hello, everybody. And thank you, Lindsay, for inviting me to this podcast. And hello, Tariq and Stacey. Um, this is the first time that I'm on, on a podcast, so <laughs> please bear with me. But I'm really honored to be in this group having this conversation. I'll talk about Umoja as well as Imani later on from the perspective of myself being born and raised in Puerto Rican, but having African descent. Um, first, I'll, I'll use the definition that is, is used um, in the website and everywhere we, we learn about Kwanzaa. Uh, Umoja means unity, as you said, and it means to strive for and maintain unity in the family, community, nation, and race. Um, and now I'm going to talk more like the way I, I see it. Um, it is the first principle and it's really the one that holds every all the other principles together. Um, it is about building a community and that starts with the family. And we can go uh, here discussing about what, what does it mean to be, you know, what, what family means in the Af Afrocentric uh, perspective. Uh, it includes not just your brothers and sisters, but uh, mainly everybody and including uh, the ancestors and, mm -hmm. and nature, if you could put it that way. Um, so there's, it's not, there's no way to simplify it here, but obviously because of time, we'll try, I'll try to uh, be... Uh, concise. To me, unity symbolizes the idea that we are because everyone else is. Mm -hmm. So all our actions have consequences that affect 
not just your uh, immediate family, but your community, uh, our people. And for that reason, we have to strive to, to keep it united, to keep our family and our community united. Um, my experience with Kwanzaa in general has been, I will have to admit, fairly recent, especially as a student in the Africology department in Temple University. But the concept of unity, especially African unity, um, has been with me since, I would say, especially since I went to New York as a, I would say, immigrant. Although Puerto Ricans, we have visas, so we don't have to deal with the struggles of uh, being not having a visa, but still not not being born and raised in the United States and feeling like as an outsider. Um, I started being acquainted with the Dominican uh, population in New York, and so it was really a blessing because as I, I saw all the cultural performances that they were doing that were coming from a spiritual standpoint, especially African spirituality. Um, and that's when I started attending different circles of Palo, Gaga, Sanandunga, which, has, which are terms that are used, especially in the, in the Dominican Republic. But we can see the very similar uh, practices across the Caribbean, uh, Latin America, the United States, and Africa. And that's where I started to get a glimpse of, you know, doesn't matter where we are located, we're really, we're really talking about one culture. Um, that for some people, maybe they see that in the surface it's different or that the expression is different, but the foundation is really one and the same. And this is something that the Senegalese historian uh, did for us, Cheikh Antadiov, um, to really mm -hmm. demonstrate that there, there's one African culture. Mm -hmm. um, and today I really... My interest as a person, also as a scholar, um, and a person interested in African spirituality, I've seen that there is a recent trend in, uh, in having an interest in Africa and African descent worldwide, which is really good. But at the same time, some sometimes it's done really on the surface um, and usually limited to the ex experience of enslavement. Um, so today I invite you know, also that we're here in the podcast, but also listeners to think about how do we build an United African diaspora um, beyond trauma and suffering? And how do we keep mm -hmm. it as a community together beyond our differences? Um, keeping in mind that we are one and and that that oneness goes back to, to Kemet, ancient Egypt. Right. Uh, and it's not just the continental Africa, but also it's also African descendants in, in the Americas and other parts of the world. Um, and understanding that even though we are physically like differently, linguistically, ethnic, ethnically, even politically, we're still part of that one culture. Um, and we can see different examples. I will not go into all details here, but we can see that in the, the element of the spoken world with word, which is essential to African culture, we can see that in, in the concept of the Husia, uh, in Kemet, but also in the Dogon concept of Nomo. And in other manifestations as Rastafari, Liberty, there's the idea of word, sound, and power, uh, which is about, you know, the importance of activating that energy that, that we have in us, uh, but that we share with everybody. Um, and we can see that in a popular 
culture manifestations as hip hop, rap, reggaeton, salsa. And these are ways that, in my opinion, are present day ways to connect people uh, globally with the African power of the world. And I say all of this to illustrate that separation is really an illusion we, and that we have to reconcile our differences in be that nationality or ethnicity um, in, into what it means to be African. It doesn't mean that we have to ignore our individualities but, or our uniqueness, but that we have to use that uniqueness for a greater cause, um, which is freedom, African freedom. Um, so when we are doing something more specific, for example, Bomba in Puerto Rico, we're not doing just we're not just doing it for the sake of doing it or for entertaining, but we're doing it also as a means of liberation. Um, mm. And then the last thing I'm going to say about Umoja um, basically is that it's, it is about the interconnectedness of all that is. Um, and the African principle of, of environmentalism, I don't want to get too academic here, but <laughs> um, or deontology, yeah. Basically, unity is about that. If you affect something in the cosmos, you're not just affecting that part, but you're you're affecting the ent cosmos entirely. So, and that goes both ways, for better or for worse. So, putting that in terms of we as communities and um, having our specific identities, uh, basically, it's like if you uplift one part of African culture let's say African-Americans in the United States, you're uplifting everybody, you know, all Africans, mm. but also all humans by extension. So it's important to remember that if you bring one, one part of the community down, you're really, you're bringing everybody down. Mm -hmm. So our, our work should really focus on helping uplift, uplift and reconstruct. We're responsible for each other and no matter where we're located. So that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Woo, that's a word. <laughs> that's all I can say because you know, I think it's it's really important every aspect that you touched on. And I'm so glad that you touched on the various things you did because I mean Umoja is first for a reason. You know, it's the first principle for a reason because um ultimately we need to be unified in order to achieve these other principles. We have to be on one accord. And granted, everybody's not gonna be on one accord, right? But that is the goal. Um, for us as, as African people, and that includes um, people from the continent as well as people all over the diaspora. And like you said, we're all one people. And I'm so glad you said that because the name of this podcast is Gumbo. And it's about Africa and its many manifestations. We're all African people. It doesn't matter if you're in, you know, a Nubian person living in, you know, Aswan in Egypt or, you know, a, a, a person living in the CUNY homes in Houston, Texas, like we're all the same people. And so I think sometimes, well, I know a lot of times we get caught up in these differences and languages and religions and politic, um, politics and um, geographies and all these different things that really are intended to divide us. But ultimately we have to see beyond those various manifestations and whatever they may be. And remember that we are together as one and we have to be together in order to push forward and, and do what we have to do. And that's not just in terms of the people that are presently here also. That's why I'm glad you brought that up. But the ancestors, the people who came before us are very instrumental in bringing us together. We, we can have a whole conversation. We will be having a whole conversation on that in the next episode um, on spirituality, but also on um, in terms of connecting us to the, the environment around us, right? Like to things that may not be human per se. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. 
Does anybody else want to add anything to that aspect of Umoja? I know she covered a lot. Sorry, and I went to a little bit fast. <laughs> no, no, no. That was awesome. Okay, so let's let's allow that amazing um, description to segue into um, our next uh, topic. And so today we're actually recording on December 27th, um, which is the second principle of Kwanzaa, which is Kuji Chagalia. Um, and so that's about self-determination. So Tariq, can you talk to us a little bit more about um, Unguzo Saba as it relates to this particular principle? Yes, of course. Um, first, I would like to say uh, Hotep, uh, Go, Habarikani to your listeners Hotep. and to my <laughs> other panelists. Uh, I want to thank Lindsay you know, for inviting me on here. Um, I've been celebrating Kwanzaa since I was a child. Like I said, my family has really been involved with uh, this work towards getting to a place that we can call like uh, culture, working towards being self-determinative. And, um, and I have worked alongside uh, people who personally know Karinga and personally do this work all the time. So this is very close to home. Um, and I'm glad that you invited me onto this podcast. I've been doing a lot of thinking about Kwanzaa and really, how has Kwanzaa transformed and how has our vision of Kwanzaa transformed uh, since I was a child celebrating and what does it mean to us now? And so when, when you look at Kwanzaa, especially today, Kuji Chakolia, um, today is self-determination. And, and what you see is um, what you see is this principle is it's not really about the self. It's not about the individual, but it's about the community being mm -hmm. able to determine our own terms of who we are and how do we fit in the world. And this idea is intrinsically, which means it's it's bonded to the idea of Afrocentricity, right? Being yes, own ideas of who we are and our own definitions. And one of the things that I've been quite disturbed this year is going out and seeing the marketing of how Kwanzaa is being promoted outside of the Black community. And it's now basically, or I guess since the 90s, it's really been uh, proposed as a Black Christmas, right? Or they say, oh, this is just what the mm. Black people do. And, mm. and you see what Marmer's mm. talking about, this vision of a Pan-African identity, a Pan-African understanding of who we are, is being washed away for African-American centricity. Right, which is anti-Pan-African and anti-Afrocentric, where it's no longer mm -hmm. about embracing all of our transcontinental African identities, but it's now the celebration of an African-American identity. And that's something that we need to, to realize when we're going into mm -hmm. this. And I actually mm -hmm. did have uh, something to say about Umodia, because, you know, you said it's the, the principle that ties all these other principles together. Uh, in Umodia... Mm -hmm. uh, it comes from the Swahili. Um, ooh, you put it in front of a word to make that word abstract, right? And moja is the word of one, right? It's the, it's the number one. And so you put ooh and one. It's the abstract of one. It's oneness, right? Oneness is unity. Right. Um, ooh, that gave me chills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and one of the things that I, I've seen is people, we talk about unity, unity, unity. And what does that mean? And when you look at 
uh, if we're looking at self-determination and the Afrocentric uh, methodology and the rhetoric, uh, Malefic Kete Asante, who's uh, the founder of the theory of Afrocentricity, he says that consciousness precedes unity, right? So yeah. it's not just about the seven principles, but it's about the consciousness that leads you into the principles. So there's, we talk about the seven days of Kwanzaa, but there's the 365 days of us needing to be conscious, mm. you see? Yes. And so right. well, the, the principles you gave me, self-determination, Ujima, are about this work, this work that we need to do about uh, relocating ourselves to being conscious. And so I, I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of Kwanzaa. Um, because a lot of people, they celebrate, like I said, they think it's Black Christmas or they think it's Black Hanukkah and it couldn't be farther from the truth. And so Kwanzaa was a holiday, as you know, my colleague has said, uh, was started by Mulana Karenga. A lot of people don't know this. They think of Kwanzaa as something in the 80s or 90s, but it was actually founded in 1960. That's when the first, uh, um, celebration was, took place was 1966. So mm -hmm. at this time, Martin Luther King was still alive. Malcolm X had just been assassinated. Um, and it started because uh, Milana Karenga, uh, there's all these different movements in the civil rights and now the, the, the black power movement was coming out. And people were really trying to understand how can we be self-determinative? What do we need to do for black people to live prosperous lives in America? And, and out of Karenga's vision of the Black community came what we would call cultural nationalism, people politicizing their culture. And in this, this uh, pursuit, many people started to question the roles of European philosophy, Eurasian spirituality, and all these other things that we've taken for granted within the Western worldview. And they said, if we were to realign ourselves with our own culture and politicize our culture, maybe we shouldn't be participating in European holidays like Hanukkah and Christmas. So many people said, well, we still want to have, you know, this is uh, a season of, you know, people to come together and we don't want to lose that. And so that's when Kwanzaa was devised. They, they looked at um, African harvest festivals, um, which have been celebrated, mm -hmm. as Marimar said, all the way back to Kemet and even to the societies before Kemet. You know, societies that after they harvest their their different crops, they would come together, have a festival. Uh, so they looked at that history and they constructed um, a celebration from there. And objectives of Kwanzaa have always been aligned with an Afrocentric vision. And it's always about recentering our community and working together. Uh, you know, that's why I said, you know, Umoja ties all my principles specifically together. Um, but what we've seen is uh, Kwanzaa basically has been usurped by people who don't have this vision. There is no consciousness. So unity doesn't make sense. The, the collective working responsibility doesn't make sense. And what we've seen is your, the Eurocentric paradigm and the Eurocentric ethos has crept into the way that we have to conceptualize Kwanzaa. So this year, I want people to rethink about what does Kwanzaa mean to you? What does your, your identity being black, being African mean. Um, and I want us to be wary of, of the consumerism, the individualism, mm -hmm. the materialism, and the capitalistic mindset that has infiltrated into our community, not just about Kwanzaa, but our community in general. Uh, because these are things that ultimately alienate ourselves from our culture, 
from our community, and as Marmer said, our larger extended family. Um, and then, you know, this is really a time of reflection, you know, these seven days. Um, but these seven days aren't the only time that we should be being African. You know, this isn't a time to play African dress up or cosplay, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, dust off our daishikis and blow out our afro. Oh, not to dust you know, it off. Uh, we're, we're supposed to be doing this work, like I said, 365 days a year. And so, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm an instructor. Um, I'm an orator. I, I could talk all day. So I'm going to yield my time. But uh, <laughs> but there, there's, there's a lot to this. And I'm very glad that you invited me to this conversation. Yes, no, this is this is beautiful. And Tariq, were you um, touching on uh, uh, collective work as well? Yeah, so as well? collective work. That's what I was talking about with the, the 365 days, because we, we not only have to come together and have a vision for what we're going to do and be determined that we're going to do that. But when it comes to actually doing that work, we need to actually come together to do it, you know, because we can't just sit here yes. behind our computers, behind our phones, behind and talk our, about it on top of our right. boxes, social, social media. media, all that and talk. We need to get together and work. And that, that's why I'm part of community organizations like um, ASCAC, the mm -hmm. Association for the Study of Classical African Civilization. Look them up. They have probably have a region where you're from. Um, I'm part of Afrocentricity International, which is the largest international Afrocentric organization in the world. Uh, they just had a conference in Brazil um, and they sent people over. They had the delegation that went over to Egypt and the delegation that went over to Ghana. Um, I'm part of... Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I have certain feelings about the NAACP, but I have done extensive work with them. Uh, so we need to, you know, put in the work yeah. where the work needs to be done. And with this, you know, we need to have Absolutely. the consciousness because I want to reiterate again that consciousness precedes unity. Consciousness uh, dictates everything that we do, because if our consciousness isn't on point, nothing else will do. Um, I have a, a friend, uh, Tristan Samuels, I believe he was on a one of your uh, previous podcasts. Um, he, yes, you know, he, he told me a, a nice little <laughs> saying that I'm going to share with you guys. He said, uh, a broken clock is right twice a day. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, so, you know, even mm. though, uh, you know, someone might be making sense every now and then, if the clock is broken, most of the day, it's, you know, it's going to tell you something that's slightly off. So we need to fix our clock. You know, mm -hmm. we need... Um, yeah. Uh, John Henry Clark, Maureen Bondi, there's so many others who have talked about what our culture is, and our culture is our clock. Uh, they say it gives us orientation, it gives us direction, it's our immune system. Um, and I guess since I brought up Maureen Bondi, I'm going to share a quote with her, uh, um, from her, I should say. Um, if you guys don't know, Maureen Bondi, uh, she's the author of the book Yurugu, which is a deep study of European culture and its effects to African people. Because, uh, you know, uh, anthropologists and, and sociologists and all of them, they want to study Black people all times and tell us uh, who we are. Mm. But, you know, we need to define who we are for ourselves and then start to look at other people and say, how do you guys relate to us? So Marimba Ani, she says, if we do Kwanzaa, then it needs to be clearly political. It needs to be visionary. Right, that's the kujichakulia, mm -hmm. right? The self-determination. It needs to be about war, right? We need to understand what's actually happened to us in our culture. We're under 
there is no other healing for African people. So if we're clear about what we need to do, right, we take that responsibility back with us to our families, to our community, and we put in work. That's that's what we're about. That's what Ujima's what Kuli Chakuli is about. Absolutely. And I'm I'm so glad you brought that up about consciousness preceding unity, because I think that's why people have a problem attaining unity, like you were saying, because they don't even know what the consciousness is and they don't even look at themselves as African people, um, as um, looking at ourselves from an Afrocentric perspective, I think is very key. And and um, in, in, in regards to the collective work, I'm so glad you brought that up, especially in a year like 2020. Because in the summer, as y'all know, um, Black Lives Matter was kind of, I mean, not that it went away, but it was actually got a lot of more attention than it even did a few years ago um, due to George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and their, those murders. And I remember um, being very frustrated. And, ta- and Stacey, you can probably add on to this, my extreme frustration with, um, I was happy that people, I don't, I don't really care what white people do and how they really do per se, <laughs> but I was really happy. I mean, I just don't, I don't, I don't have time to, to, to consume myself with their, what they're doing per se. I mean, I'm aware, but I, I, I really, I'm about our community and that's what I focus most of my attention on. And so, you know, I did notice that they were more attuned to it, you know, whether that was real or not, that's another story. Um, but I was really happy that, to a certain extent that our people, you know, our black people were like, oh, my God, like, we need to, like, do something about this. But I was also extremely frustrated because I was like, where were y'all last year? Like, why right. did anybody care last year when the same issues in our community have been happening for hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of years? And, you know, we have people like us on the call who've been doing the work and have been struggling to get our people to be on board. You know what I mean? Like, to be collectively working um, to build our communities. And I was a little um, upset. I had to check myself. I'm like, okay, it's not about my frustrations, but I was upset because I felt like people are saying, our people are saying Black Lives Matter, but mm-hmm. what does that actually mean to you? And what are you doing about it? And people are like, well, what do we need to do? And I'm like, y'all, the blueprint has been set. Where have you been? You know, like, let's look at all these leaders who who've pushed us. Let's look at all the things that are being done right now and let's make sure we're doing it. Fast forward to December, several months later and all right. the smoke is gone. And and the same people who were saying, you know, Black Lives Matter and what can we do are back to where they were in January. And, you know, pre-COVID, pre, not pre-police brutality, obviously, but pre the heightened Black Lives Matter movement. And, 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 and I just want to, and this is not a judgmental thing. I'm not trying to be self-righteous or judgy, but I'm, I'm saying this because I want us to for this to be at the forefront of our minds at all times. For our consciousness to be there, like Tariq was saying, 365, not just when it's in social media or it's in the media, um, not just when it's convenient, not just during Black History Month, not just during Kwanzaa. But this is a work that as Black people, we should take on as our lifelong work, as our daily task, as when we go to bed at night and when we wake up. And that that's not just in terms of um, what we're doing for the outer community, but also what we're doing for mm-hmm. ourselves, our own healing. That's also our, our collective work, like Mighty Mayor brought up, our, our healing. Um, how are we treating our significant others? How are we treating our parents? How are we treating our children, our family? <laughs> like, how are we treating that Black person we passed down the street? Um, are we um, 
are we actually putting in work? Are we just talking about it because it's convenient on social media? And don't get me wrong, like writing is important. Bringing things to our attention on social media is important because that is work in itself, depending on how you use it. But I want us to realize that this is it is a collective effort and it is an individual effort um, in order to be a part of that collective. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so with that, did anybody want to add on to this is a great y'all I'm over here standing <laughs> up. <laughs> I, I was sitting down at first. Um, because it's so important. I'm so glad we're talking about all this because it's it's so key. Um, and also, I want to point out, Tariq is so right about Kwanzaa not being just a black Christmas. It has nothing to do with Christmas right? <laughs> or anything to do with um, uh, Hanukkah, you know, for that matter. Right. It's its own thing from its own perspective. Um, and actually, it's not even about religion per se obviously there's a spiritual aspect to it um but it's not in that same way tied into those things and it really shouldn't be commercialized because this is our like liberation that's on the line there's there's Um, one thing i want to add yeah oh because you got me thinking about you you, you said nothing to do with hanukkah and uh, one comparison people make with kwanzaa and hanukkah is the the number of candles the candles Um, and hanukkah i believe they have yes in Kwanzaa, there's seven. And I want you guys, if you're interested in numerology, right? That numerology is the study of numbers and their significance. I want you guys to check out what is the significance of the number seven. And check uh, Karenga. There's seven principles. There's, there's seven candles. There's the seven symbols of, of Kwanzaa. There's seven, seven different items. Kwanzaa, the, the Swahili word, only has six letters. But the, the celebration of Kwanzaa has seven. So there's something special about this number seven. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's a powerful number. So uh, I guess for, you know, for the, the listeners, go check out what the number seven means and the significance of that number. Yeah. Oh, and I'm so, okay. So we can keep going, but I, 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 I'm going to segue in a second, but I want to add on to that because that's such a good point. I think it's important to realize that our African culture, which is, you know, what Kwanzaa is based off of, this is not, this is, this is a cultural creation in the sense, but it's rooted in our, our own cultural practices for thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years for that matter, um, which Tyreek pointed out from ancient times, these um, harvest festivals and harvest celebrations and harvests that have been going on for all this time, those predate Hanukkah and Christmas. <laughs> so well, it's, it's so funny when people talk about the comparison, our civilizations predate all those other things. Right. So these things aren't influenced by, I mean, Kwanzaa is not necessarily influenced by, well, not at all influenced by these things. If anything, we can talk about how those things are influenced by our culture and African culture. Right. We look at the significance of Christmas and its ties to the winter solstice and like, you know, the years that the um, the people from Israel were in ancient Egypt, (laughs) where our people were and how they were influenced by our African culture. Right. So we we don't have time to get into all that, but honestly, they're influenced by us. Yeah, it really is. And I was going (laughs) to just another podcast. (laughs) Right. I was actually going to have one specifically on those topics, like especially dealing with the winter solstice and like, and all that, but you know, we, we only have so much time and we have more episodes to come, but no, definitely. Well, let's, on that note, let's segue into Miss Stacy. She's going to be talking about Ujama, 
Um, our fourth uh, principal, uh, Okay, hello, I'm Stacy. Um, so Ujama, guys, so I had to write notes as you guys were talking because I'm learning so much on this call. Um, so Tariq, when you're talking about consciousness precedes unity, um, it just made me think. I have in my notes, I had some stuff I wanted to say, but I just want to like continue the conversation. It made me think about um, so how can I start this? In my experience, a lot of us are struggling with cooperative economics. <laughs> um, and I think um, continuing the conversation about the commercialization of Kwanzaa, we're starting to um, get to a place where um, because of capitalism, we have commercialized hashtag shop black, hashtag buy black, black owned businesses. And those, that's a great start, but that's, it's, it's very um, surface level. Like we haven't really um, delved really into um, really sharing. Like uh, one of the words in the principle, uh, the, the definition I found is to build our own businesses, control the economics of our own community and to share in all of its work and wealth. Um, some of us haven't got there yet. And it's really, and I'm starting to realize because the consciousness really has to precede the unity, um, as you said, Tariq. So when I think about cooperative economics, growing up, I'm all over the place because I'm just so inspired by the things that you guys said. But um, growing up, my family, um, we didn't celebrate Kwanzaa necessarily in um, a traditional sense. I do have memories of going to uh, the Shape Center, which is um, a place here in Houston, Texas, but it wasn't like we we lit every candle every night type thing. Um, but I was aware vaguely of uh, the Kwanzaa principles and the celebration of Kwanzaa. But I do know for... Um, for sure, my parents did instill the need to shop um, Black-owned businesses and shop in our community and create a community and network. And so those are things that I have uh, really tried to um, implement in my own life. But what really, what really stuck, what really Absolutely. sticks with me about cooperative economics, like I said, is the share and the cooperative parts, really building a community. Um, all of these principles are so interconnected. I think about collective work and responsibility. I think about collective. Oh, I'm sorry. I think about collective work ahead, and responsibility, Stacey. how we all have to work towards this goal. And so now I just have these ponderings. Um, I, I kind of want to get you guys' feedback on it. But so first, before I go there, <laughs> I know it's a lot. I, it's a lot. It's I a mean, lot. I, I just, okay. Um, <laughs> so yes, we know it's important to shop black. And yes, I'm not, I'm not trying to take away any of that, but I'm trying to go to a deeper level. And when we're all working towards the same goal, then we don't complain about stuff like, oh, my my package didn't come on time. I know that sounds so basic, but when you're in a community with um, other people and you see the things that they complain about as far as black businesses, like they're almost looking for an excuse not to support. But that's because they're only thinking of it in a capitalistic, Eurocentric thought process of, oh, I'm buying this thing from this black person. It's very surface level. It's not about, 
it has we haven't gotten to that deeper cooperative economic and then it's just making me think and this is very social media driven but when we think about collective working responsibility um self-determination when some of these black-owned companies are asking us to buy stuff we don't need that's not cooperative economics is it what do you guys what do you guys take on that it's okay so okay can you give us an example if we're trying to move away from um a eurocentric thought process and capitalism um and uh how we talked about how all of those things permeate our brains and how it has been detrimental to the black community it may be me, it may be my own um, feelings towards this, but sometimes you may feel coerced to purchase things that you don't need under the guise of, oh, you're supporting Black, you're supporting Black, but supporting Black should go beyond just purchasing things that you may or may not need, and it should be about, like, like the Kwanzaa principle, cooperative economics. So I say that to say you're building a community that where we're sharing our wealth and our work together. Oh, so, I see what, yeah. so if I, I, I really, like, I'm trying to find my, the right words because I don't want to offend anyone. But if you are purchasing your items from overseas, from places that do not necessarily um, participate in the upliftment of black people, um, they are also participating in you know, negative things in their workplaces, whether it's uh, sweatshops and things like that, and then you're selling them here, and then there's no, it's no silical collective. I'm making these, I'm doing these arm motions, but y'all can't see me. But it's, there's no, it's not reciprocal, it's not circulating in our community. We're not all being able to reap the fruit of it it's just making mm -hmm. you really really think deeper into what does right. it really mean to have cooperative economics um okay mm -hmm. I, can i add on something because i think that's so important what you're saying like i think a lot of people just like this go, again goes back to that consciousness uh part that Tariq was touching on which is key because if you don't have that perspective mm -hmm. like or that consciousness then essentially mm -hmm. you're going to basically be replicating eurocentric mm -hmm. capitalism just with black people and you're not going to be i mean because we know that commerce and i, I would rather use those terms commerce and maybe trade um rather than capitalism um as it relates to our people but those things have those are ancient right like that's something that's been going on long before this institution or this structure of capitalism was created in Europe based off feudalism and all these different things and their cultural perspective. And I think because black people, a lot of times we don't go beyond what's right immediately in front of us historically. We can't see beyond capitalism as right. the only way to do so-called business or to, or to engage in what is, I guess, so-called business-like behaviors because we, we only know immediately capitalism. And so we tend to just basically replicate those structures, maybe change them a little bit and then put a black face on it, a black business. And then and essentially we're yeah. not really doing anything to help yes, the black communities because yes, yes. it's not cooperative. It's, it's, it's literally just what they're doing with a different face. 
And it actually can harm, harm our communities. So case in point, one thing I think about, well, I think about a lot of things, but I think about, um, you know, how people, when they go to black, when they, when they start a black owned business, how they'll, the owner will be black, but then will yep. live in a different neighborhood or a non, will live in a non-black neighborhood, which is fine. But, you know, because people got to live where they got to live. That's a whole other conversation. But what they'll do is that their money, not only do they live in an area, but what will happen is that they will put their money into the businesses around that white area or their non-black area that they're in. So they're not actually replenishing that money into the community. Right. It's going to like Fendi and all these other, whatever you want to call it, uh, these name brands or wherever. It could be a Walmart. It may not even be that. It may... They may live in a community and not even be spending in a black neighborhood or at a black owned business. So it's not actually yes. circulating. Um, no, I'm also, so glad yeah. you, you guys are bringing this up because this is a conversation that I've been having with, uh, you know, my partner, Diane Chogo, um, because, you know, people say, yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, you I know, love Diane. Because they'll, they'll say, buy black, buy black, buy black. Right. So they want. Um, you know, I don't want to use too much socialist rhetoric, but they want, you know, working class, poor black people to invest essentially with the with the, the business class. Right. But then that business class, they're not reinvesting with. The exactly. Mm-hmm. They're investing in Apple. They're investing in Google. They're investing in all these other things. Yeah. And the money's not coming back. And and then it poses a serious question. We right. have so many successful black business people, entrepreneurs, musicians entertainers that come out of Brooklyn and come out of the city of Compton. Why mm-hmm. aren't the, why isn't the city Uh-oh. of Compton the new hub of, of the black community? Why isn't Compton the black wall street of 2020? Right. We have so right. many people, they brag about their money all the yeah. time. Why, why, why are the people in Compton suffering? Why are the people in Flint, Michigan suffering? Why are black people being pushed out uh, neighborhoods in their homes yeah. in Brooklyn? Right. You see, so, so if there is no consciousness behind yeah. the money, the money does not matter. Exactly. Yep. And also, I remember um, this. I remember Stacey and I had this conversation with our other friend Felicia, and we were talking about how people simply want to replicate these European business models. Like, I I hear a lot of people talk about how um, we complain, like that black people treat you black or treat you like. With yeah, it's like I was gonna. Like, well, yeah, I was gonna like, say also like, and this wrong? is not again not to judge, but it's okay if black people ask me for a discount. <laughs> I know we don't want to talk about that, and it's like, oh, I'm trying, to, but it's really what you said, Lindsay. Um, putting black faces on white structures. It's now I understand everyone's situation is different, and we all have you know respond all of that, but as we really um reframe our minds it's okay if a black person asks you for a discount because we're talking about going back to african principles of trade and commerce like we talked about and bartering is a part of that and that's a part of building community because like you said Tariq, um about um certain business class people living in different places and maybe you said it Lindsay that's also a part of cooperative economics because I'm not sure how it works in other parts of the world but in Texas um, I'm in Houston Texas so you live where you live and then you pay property taxes where you live right and so those property taxes help to fund education and I know that's a whole nother conversation to have but 
So we talk about schools not having proper resources. Well, you don't live. Just to be frank, you have a business and then you live, you move away from your community. So now you're paying high property taxes somewhere else that's not even impacting the students that look like you. So it all is most definitely connected. Um, and we want to we want to be mm -hmm. understanding, but we have to have some non-negotiables for black people. Like, okay, this is what collectively we're going to unify, you know, using these Kwanzaa principles. And this is how we're going to get our economics in order because it has to be beyond starting black businesses. Um, I read a quote out of the, I think the Urban League, yeah. the, uh, I know the Houston Urban League, maybe it put this out, but that black women were like the number one. Um, yeah. However, Entrepreneurs, fastest growing. we have to start yeah. getting past the, the start phase and like, and like where, where, what's the implications exactly. of that? So if black women are the number one group of entrepreneurs, then let's, let's look at, let's look back into this data five years from now and see how has that impacted that? Has that funneled into more, um, political organizations that impact local political organizations that impact black communities positively has that funnel back into better funding for schools because we all are it's like live living strategically um right yeah that's i mean that's such a good point and i know we can go a lot with this because i think about i've heard that statistic actually my sister and i are both entrepreneurs and we've talked about this and it's funny because, you know, everything that I do is around my community. So even if it's a so-called, I, I, I don't even like using the term business because it's so loaded. And it's same with entrepreneurship, but it's things that I've created to actually help the community, like such as my nonprofit, which is, you know, not the best structure for our people uh, ultimately, mm -hmm. but it's how I'm able to educate them. Like literally the re-education project, you know, and in African culture and black history. And so, um, and other things, but when I think about that, it's like, you're, most, um, I think the statistics states that black women are the fastest growing, but they're the least likely to not have a business the following year or a couple of years down the line because of lack of support, resources, funding, things like that. But that's one aspect. But also, what are we doing? How are we all supporting these black women? And like, and what can that mean if we support black women who start businesses that help our community? Right. Because black women are often the center of our communities. And so I think that's a really good point to to look at and how can we use cooperative economics to lead us into what we need as a community, not just business for business sake. Okay, you buying these little cute trendy clothes, what you gonna do with yes. that money? Mm -hmm. Like how are we going how is that gonna not just make you rich or make you money, but how is it gonna help? Are you gonna be employing more people, right? Are you gonna be giving more like like how does this go beyond that and I also think about the the great example of Marcus Garvey like you know who people you know may argue who's a capitalist I don't know if that's exactly the right word um personally to describe him but his use of economics and like how the economics was unifying the diaspora and the continent well ideally would have been unifying the diaspora and the com the the continent and actually <laughs> leaving out white people right it's a, it, ultimately like having us work together and not needing other people is a part of that self-determination, right? It's a part of us liberating ourselves. And I mean, I know there's a lot to go with that. I think that defense is something that we don't talk enough about. <laughs> Defending the things that we create um, because we know that they will be attacked, such as like, you know, Black Wall Street and all these places throughout the country. But 
Now, I think this is a great topic is to, to in, in summary that cooperative economics is not black. Right. It's, it has to go beyond black capitalism, beyond shopping black, supporting and starting black owned businesses. It has to be a, a true mindset, mindset shift that we are working towards the same liberation. That's right. Did um Mari Mayor or Tariq want to add on to that? Because that's a lot of. Um, I mean, I'm ooh. sorry, I got I was I went out for a little bit, but I'm back, so I'm sorry if I repeat anything you said before. But I was just thinking about solidarity. You know, beyond yeah. money, like we have to help each other out. Um, you know. We share our skills. If something happened in my bathroom, my toilet, and one of you knows about plumbing, come and help me. And then another time you will meet me, you will use my skills. And, you know, that way we avoid having to contract, you know, anybody else that will charge us $100. And, you know, that way it starts from the bottom up, I guess. Um, but definitely it's also a mentality that we have to try to change. Mm -hmm. Like I think Stacy was saying too, like before we buy anything new, like let's try to see if we can find that um, somewhere in our community that's already available to us. I don't know if you can, I have a disconnection yeah. message right now. Okay. I'm back. Um, yeah. That was all I was going to say about that. And we heard you the whole time actually. And I was going to say too, I think, Oh, we can go on and on about this. Um, but I think, too, it's important for us to determine what we need. You know, obviously, and I'm going to get into this when I talk about purpose in a second. We have, everybody has their own purpose, and I wholeheartedly believe that. But I think we have a collective purpose. And I think it's really important for us to establish things that we need, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? As far as economics is concerned, what do we actually need? Do we need food? Yes. How can we get food? <laughs> right? How can we exchange food? How can we get the things that we actually need for sustenance and things of that nature? Um, not just restaurants, right? Because, you know, that's a whole other conversation about who can afford it and who can't. And is it healthy or is it not? But those fundamental needs, I would love to see us push for that in terms of cooperative economics and um, more co-ops or whatever that looks like. Um, I want to say one last thing about economics. I was, as, as I'm listening, I'm continually writing notes, but it made me think about the word currency and kind of reframing what currency is. It's not just mm. um, this exchange of necessarily money or goods. It can also be wisdom. Um, there is wealth beyond a uh, financial gain. Mm. And um, as, so I was I've, I've, mm, I'm thinking about I think I'm thinking about this um, a lot of our families um, so like I said I'm in Texas and uh, my family is originally from East Texas and my husband's family is from East Texas but they have a lot of a wealth of knowledge to share with us that's beyond finances they can teach us like you said how to grow food you know, passing that down, those are all, and mm -hmm. it's, I'm sure it's connected to mm -hmm. other uh, principles, but as we think economically, think about the currency of the other things, um, teaching how to grow food, how to make clothes, how to build things, other wisdom, um, how to 
Even if it's something small as like, Lindsay, you put together this platform, you could help someone else. I'm not telling you to do this, but, you know, just sharing wealth of knowledge. We all have so much information that we could share. And that that is currency as well as we um, try to uh, as we as we strive to build our um, communities going just just really thinking beyond what currency is outside of paper money and financial gain. Passing down wisdom and other things mm. that we need. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Wow. Cowie. I'm over here thinking about Kyrie <laughs> Shell. Let me not digress. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. Let me bring it back. So yeah, thank wow. All I can say is wow for all that. Um and I think I'll, I'll keep it kind of brief for the Nia, not that it's not important, but I want to talk about Nia as what I said before, Nia is purpose. And when we think about purpose, I think it ties into all the things we said. And I love how each one of these things are interconnected. They're not working independently of each other. So, you know, you can't just, and I, and I love how they build, right? Like on, on Nia, on day five of Kwanzaa, you're not just focusing on purpose, but you're also focus, focusing on cooperative economics, collective right. work, and all these other things because they continue to build off of each other. This is, these are things that work cohesively along or are fueled by the consciousness. And um, when I think about Nia, the, the definition, right, is, is purpose or the translation is purpose, right? But it's to make our collective vocation the building I'll repeat that to make our collective vocation, the building and developing of our community in order to restore our people to their traditional greatness. I mean, it's kind of hard to even elaborate from there, but I think when we think of, when I personally think about purpose, um, I think a lot about my own purpose and my own purpose is deeply connected with this collective purpose. It's not, it goes back to Ubuntu, right? Like, it's not separate from what I want or what the collective needs and what our purpose is as a collective. Because everything that I do, and I'm speaking on my own experience, everything I personally do is guided by my ancestors, right? Like, I don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I'm going to do this because it's cool. Right. That's not, that's not, that's not how I move. And I know people like, I, you know, I'm pretty active on social media and I know people like, oh, how does she do this? And how is she able to do this? And she's doing something cool. And it's like, okay, great. It is cool. And I do enjoy doing it, <laughs> but it's not about me. <laughs> I'm, I'm a vessel. Like my purpose is to, for, for the divine, for God, however you want to call God, our African God, our creator to work through me. And I, and that's happening through my, communication and my listening to my ancestors they guide me in my own personal purpose and because I'm being guided by this cosmo cosmological purpose right it's not just what I want to do and like I'm like oh I want to wake up and do whatever I want to do because I'm being guided by that it is actually in turn helping our collective because it's for the collective and I and I really wonder if people took the time to Think about right, their right. purpose, not just like, oh, how can I get money? Right. Or how can I? And I understand that right. in some cases, our people, honestly, we are in a survival mode. 
whether that's because of our actual circumstances or perceived circumstances through, you know, trauma passed down to epigenetics, for example, whatever it may be. Sometimes we do work in a survival mode and I understand that, but I need us to, if we can, and I don't want to, I don't want to minimize mental, you know, health, right? But when we can, and if we can, to really work beyond ourselves and, and think about what our true purpose is, our spiritual purpose, because it oftentimes is going to connect us to our collective. Because our collective is also our ancestors. And so I think that it's important for us to find that and to, and to not be doing things just for the show or just for, I don't know, just for the money. Because honestly, when you, I know this is going to sound really cliche, but when you walk in your purpose, the money will come. And I, mm -hmm. I and it's the truth. The money will find you. Because the, the God, the spirits, the ancestors will bless you. And, and in turn, you're blessing your community. Like you're helping your community. Bless maybe not be the word, right, right word, but you're helping your community. So like, for example, I remember um, there was a, when I was trying to really find my purpose, um, maybe about, about 10 years ago and I was actually no maybe not that long ago um maybe about six years ago five or six years ago and I remember um I had reached out to this business consultant <laughs> and you know she was helping me she was like helping me like a life coach and all this and she was like you know what I was trying to decide between moving forward with my editing website and my nonprofit, which I now have the re-education project and I remember she was like, no, do your editing website first because that's going to get you immediate money. I remember her telling me that. And I know she meant well. I knew she didn't want me to struggle. But in my spirit, I knew because I was connected on that spiritual level. We'll talk about faith in a second that I wasn't supposed to do that first. I was supposed to do the nonprofit. Right. I knew it. I was like, I don't care if it doesn't make me money because I'm not here for I'm not doing it for the money. I can figure out some other way of getting my money but I know that I need to do this for my community and she was like you're gonna struggle with it she told me that and she and I know she was well-intentioned it's a black lady and I did it and you know the nonprofit has been growing and absolutely not about it growing mm -hmm. but the fact that it's impacting these children who are not who are not having to unlearn the foolishness that some of us learn they're learning about their culture about their history about pride about consciousness first yes and to me that is the wealth <laughs> like knowing that like knowing that girl that editing website can wait <laughs> like that's okay but knowing that but had I listened to that capitalistic mindset that she had even though she meant well had I listened to that imagine how many children will not be getting what they're getting out not to say that they could only get it through me but how many children are now getting access to this wealth of of, of knowledge that they need in order to to do what they need to do in the world, you know what I mean, and to and to follow their purpose and to to achieve in Guzo Saba and all these different things. So I don't know. That's like a long example, but my point is, I want to encourage us to really walk in our our divine African divine purpose and to allow that to benefit the purpose of the collective. And I'm gonna leave it there. <laughs> yeah. Anything, anybody want to add on to purpose? I, know, I feel like everybody on this call is walking in purpose. <laughs> so. No, I agree totally. It, it, it combines a little bit with what I was going to say about faith, but I'll I'll wait until it's my turn. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, that's the beauty of, of it. I think that it's also interconnected. Wow. 
And that's not something I, not that I didn't, uh, I wasn't aware of it, but it's not something I paid much attention to before. And so it's like this talking has made me realize just how like they really build on each other. Um, so with that, let's segue into Stacy with our six of seven. Okay. Yes. Kimba. So creativity, creativity is so important um, for our people. Um, first, firstly, we are um, born with creativity. Um, some of us are tapped into it and some of us um, probably just need a little bit of help with that tapping into it, but we all have creativity and, one of the notes I wrote down is creativity is the ultimate expression of freedom. Um, creativity and anxiety cannot coexist. And in order for us to really um, live a creative life and create the things that we need, we have to um, we have to rid ourselves of a lot of um, miseducation that we've received. One of the things, um, Mari. Mari Mayer, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, but you talked about um, trauma and suffering and how um, when it comes to uh, Black consciousness, how a lot of our stories start at enslavement and we have to kind of get beyond trauma and suffering. And it made me think about um, Black artists, one of the, across mediums, across disciplines, how one of the constant conversations is as a black artist, do I have to create quote black art, right? What is black art? Does it have to be this thing that's mm -hmm. about blackness? And um, I really, I really uh, want to imagine, and that's a part of creativity, but reimagine, imagine a future for black, for black artists that's beyond trauma and suffering. Um, of course, creating works that honor mm -hmm. um, the past and honor our ancestors and is not to um, minimize or wash away the things that we've been through in the past, but going beyond trauma and suffering. Um, arts just play such an important role in, in, in our society in general, but in Black people in particular. And I just think about... Um, I was listening to something. I can't remember what it was, but the intentionality of in textbooks, when you see the imaging of the civil rights movement and the dogs attacking, of course, we need to know about the things that happened, but we need to hear more of the stories of the Nat Turner's and Denmark Vesey's and the Rune Societies and the Haitian Revolution. Uh, yeah. Independence and all those things that I ain't learned about till I was I was good and grown when I realized that Haiti um got the independence on their own. Um so you know now I try to teach my students and my own personal kids um those things. But like really when you think about like I think about even in creativity, I'm rambling now, but even in cre creativity, I think about representation and images that are put out of us and really um, going beyond trauma and suffer suffering. And I also wrote when I was listening to uh, you, uh, I thought about art making as a source of healing and really using our creativity to heal ourselves mm -hmm. in the future to come because we have work to do. Wow. So when I think about that give me goosebumps. <laughs> when I when I think about Kumba, it really connected with emotion yeah, because as we get connected 
and we can we can get creative. Like it's all it all intertwines with each other. Mm. Ooh. That's a lot. That's like a lot to process. Cause I think um well Marty uh, I'm about to say Mar. I'll talk to <laughs> we have a mutual friend named That's totally Mar- fine with me. Sorry. Marty <laughs> he I know. She's also been a guest on the podcast too. Did you want to add on to that? I no, yeah, that I was uh, the the fact that you know doing art, not just art, but creativity is a, a way. It's a means for liberation. Yeah, yeah. as we do, mm-hmm. like freedom is not just something that you reach, but it's something that you do oh. every day, and it's a mindset. I'm writing that down. Freedom is something that you do. Yes, because mm-hmm. it's a journey. You get you get free and free and that creative expression yeah. allows for it. Yes. And art is, and I know we're not talking specifically about art, but I remember Dr. Mazama said, Dr. Amal Mazama said that art um, is what also connects us to the spirit world. You know, and I think about that a lot and just how much spirituality is in, intertwined with all the other principles um, and the consciousness, you know what I mean? And it, you find that artists a lot of times are tapped into that because they understand mm-hmm. how those two things work together. And I think you brought up a good point too, Stacey, about creativity being um, about what we create. Cause it's, I mean, not what we create about, it's not just about art because Kwanzaa is creative. Like the fact that Karanga created this is creativity. Because I mean, obviously we know it's rooted in our own cultural um practices, but to put it together, to to synthesize the things he he synthesized and to put it out to the world, like that's creative. Like to come up with a concept and see it to fruition is creativity and I think you're so right that a lot of us don't I remember y'all I'm a whole artist and I remember not even calling myself an artist Mm. or even considering myself creative until about six years ago literally and I've been creative creating art other things my entire life and I think that as black people a lot of things that we call so-called ghetto is actually creative if you want to go there too like we're very resourceful and um and how we utilize things. And that can be like just how we cook and how we take, even with soul food, like how we took scraps and made it into something delicious, even though it wasn't necessarily healthy in some cases, but like all those things are creative. How can we create things or how can we build things um, is a question of creativity. It's not just a question of the building itself. It's the the how is the creative part too. Um, and it takes the 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 creativity of individuals but also the yeah and um, it's so important that together. we um tap into our creativity because it's not just about like you said art making it's to be able to create new possibilities create original ideas we think about the examples of um black people not being able to play their drums or not being able to dance because um you know colonizers know that when we tap into mm-hmm. creativity we are connected spiritually um but beyond that even not learning how to not being able to learn how to read and so when we get when we reconnect into our creativity our abilities to have new ideas use the use of imagination it just fuels 
it just fuels so much power towards liberation. Um, yeah. But you have to get you have Ooh, to go beyond little, survival okay. to get there. So with, like we talked about like, uh, constantly being in survival mode. When you're constantly in survival yeah. mode, and it's not it's not our fault that we are in survival mode. It's just the circumstances. But once we get past that hump of being constantly in survival mode, living within trauma and suffering, we have the time and space to think create new ideas, create new possibilities, figure out um, answers to questions. Yeah. Like entrepreneurship is a, is a practice of creativity, right? Um, political activism, when you're thinking about solving some of the problems mm-hmm. that really we have is, yeah. collectively, that's an act of creativity and um, just really, really tapping back into that. Um, And creativity can help with solving our mental health issues. You know what I mean? Like using art to to help with those things and creating solutions um, to our mental health issues or the survival mode and all the things that we have. Like it's just, it just keeps giving. And even like what you mentioned about, man, really like a lot of our manifestations culturally are due to our own creativity. Like when we think about, like you talked about how like, uh, in a lot of parts of the ask where we were forbidden for playing the drums and then we get the steel drums and then we get like what's the thing that they play in, in Venezuela I can't think we of have tap dancing like in the American style like the sounds of a drum <laughs> yeah tap like all that <laughs> like but you know it, it's because we're creative we like we never like left and that's a whole thing we talked about in our first episode we never left our culture behind we just found more creative ways to express it um, and we don't have to necessarily find creative ways to express it just because of survival or just because of oppression, but like other things can yield more creativity that are not rooted in suffering and all those um, negative things that we've had to endure. <laughs> Ooh, that's a word. Ooh, this is a word. The whole episode is a word. <laughs> well, um, Tariq, did you want to add anything on to that? Tariq? Okay, I think he uh, he may not want to. I think we went a little <laughs> too okay. crazy. <laughs> okay, so on that. Oh, oh my God, I, he may also be muted, and that's okay. Um, so let's go ahead and segue into our last um, principle. Obviously, not the least um, with Mari Mayor. Um, can we discuss Imani? Faith? Okay, thank you, and I'll be short. Obviously, keeping in mind that how all these principles, are, like this, will be the the you know finishing the circle or like finishing to start over again with the idea of unity behind and imani means faith um and it's basically believing that a better world is possible for us now and in the future um basically having really believing that we can have a better life but i think um beyond thinking like what are we going to we also have to understand the world that we live in now and we cannot do that until we really go back you know without being you know being clichosa sorry to use spanish in there uh the you know the concept of sankofa of like going back and fetching it going <laughs> to our ancient past and, and really believing that that past is not really just gone it's in us in our genetic code in our ancestral remembering that we have and we can tap into that memory 
for us to really reprogram the future that we want to build mm. in our own terms. And that connects with self-determination and all the other things we discussed uh, and also grounded in, in unity. Um, and then, yeah, using a narrative of victory, not of victimization. Mm. That doesn't mean that we're going to forget all the oppression that is still yes. on top of us. Mm-hmm. And as you were talking about, you know, drumming. And when we live in all these apartments that are owned by white landlords, it's really hard for us to just be creative sometimes because they start, oh, you're making noise. You can't do that. We're going to kick you out. And mm-hmm. we are really constrained, but we have to really say, okay, we cannot do it here. We find somewhere else to do it. Uh, <laughs> and maybe the, maybe it's better than maybe exactly come on, come on, maybe our ancestors were telling us you, you need to leave that apartment and go somewhere else that's better for you that will lead you to other opportunities um and mm. i think it's also it starts with ourselves and wow you know loving ourselves not just as an individual but as far as of the community and also how we act towards others like we also have to set this example um, in like following the steps of our elders, respecting their work work that they already did, like and building upon it, not just creating a whole new wheel. Like the the wheel has been is is there for us to just build upon it and also set the example for for the people that come after us. Um, yes. And yeah, the only thing I, I was gonna talk a little yes. bit about spirituality, but. You said you already have a podcast that is going to be about spirituality. So I, the only thing I... I <laughs> um, and we will be inviting you back. said something so about <laughs> seven, number seven. I had he, I was going to mention the fact that, you know, Karenga did it to pay homage to the importance of number seven in African tradition. Like in Kemet, it meant completion. So faith is the seventh principle and it's really like the completion um, and, you know, the importance of seven, you can see it in the to, seven to the principles Ooh. or hermetic principles, if you, you know, know it as, as that, like the principle of mentalism, um, correspondence, vibration, polarity, gender, rhythm and causation. Um, but also in the seven African powers that are, you know, practiced in the Yoruba traditions in the Americas or in the diaspora, los siete poderes, africano, Ochun, Chango, Obatala, Oya, Ogu, and how that connects with each day of the week. Like each day of the week has a different energy, a uh, different divinity, and like we have to tap into it. When we wake up, we think of that and yes. we try to pay homage to that. And and also, and I was, yeah, the other last thing I was going to say is that we're responsible uh, right now. I'm talking about our generation. To, to at least get acquainted with all this ancient knowledge that we have. And once we get acquainted, I understand and to, uh, to try to use it. Um, and in, in my personal opinion, I think that is in African spiritual, spirituality. I know there's other people that may not be into that, but at least be respectful to it and understand it. Why is it that, that we know, why is it that many people know about Greek and Roman mythology? Exactly. And I'm talking about black people, Latinos, uh, but we don't know anything about African divinity and African spirituality, yeah. uh, or just maybe on the surface. Um, so I think it is really we are responsible wow. to 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 understand that, and the information is out there. Um, and yeah, activate that energy to to sustain the unity that we're working hard to keep. 
And I guess that ends back again, or no, not ends, but starts again with the concept of Umoja. Yes. Ooh, that's powerful. And I want to, I mean, I don't really have much to add from that. Because um, I'm so glad you talked about this, this, the importance and the symbology of the number seven. Because a lot of a lot of us think that it comes from Christianity, <laughs> right? A lot of us don't understand that it goes beyond that, um, and many of us don't even realize that you know everything about Kwanzaa is is right. purposeful. It's with intention. It wasn't just like, oh, we're gonna have seven days just because we want seven days or twelve days of Christmas. It's not like that, right? Um, but I want to emphasize also what you talked about, victorious consciousness, because I think. That may not be a concept that a lot of people are familiar with who may not be, you know, uh, familiar with Afrocentricity or the theory of Afrocentricity. But I think we have to have that aspect. Obviously, we're talking about Afrocentric perspective and the consciousness. But I think that aspect is so important um, to have the victorious consciousness so that we will have the wherewithal to produce the things we need through Nguzo Saba. I think when we focus so much on not being victorious. That's why I always say in victory. We always focus on not being victorious, on the oppression, on the things, and on the white people, and all these other things. We limit ourselves to, the, to what we can do and what we can um, create and achieve um, and, and, and build for ourselves um, when we don't think that we can do it. <laughs> like, when we don't see ourselves as being victorious, right? So I think that that was a great point that I didn't consider um, until you really brought it up with, as it relates to faith, because you have to have the, the, the faith, the belief that you can do these things. And that's definitely about a part of victorious consciousness. And I know Tariq is back. Yes. You wanted um, to add something, right? So I love everything that, you know, you guys are saying. Uh, oh. <laughs> and I, I would like to reiterate one point um, about faith, where from an Afrocentric point of view, your spirituality, your faith, and your culture, th- these are things that aren't detached from your from each other. There's no separation. So when we're talking about exactly. faith, one part of it, yeah, we're, we're talking about, you know, our right. mythology, our cult- culture, but we're also talking about ourselves, right, and having faith in ourselves. Um, and, you know, I've been doing a lot of work recently on um, education. Yeah. I always talk about, oh, you know, uh, students have low self-esteem when the reality is uh, black students studies have shown don't actually have low self-esteem there's another issue and that issue is that they don't have faith in themselves they don't think Mm -hmm. that they can be successful they think that the system is uh, well they know that the Mm. system's made to put them down and so they don't have faith that they can be successful so you know not only do we need to study the ancients but we need to apply the ancients and their teachings to what we're going on today and then to basically focus not on self-esteem but on cultural confidence yeah that's that's what i had to add um but i just want to reiterate like you guys yeah um, you know this is a, a great opportunity a great conversation and um i'm glad that i was able to be a part of it Yeah, and and on that note, I will thank y'all as well um, because um, you know I'm 
I bring the people here together. I mean, all of y'all together to talk about it, but I always learn something, you know, and I always leave very inspired, um, re-energized um, to do the work and to do more things and, and to think creatively. So it's, it's, it's a beautiful way to kind of, I know Kwanzaa technically started yesterday, but really to like really reignite it for me um, through this season. So thank y'all so much for being guests. And I want y'all to quickly, I know we run out of time, um, just go ahead and share any events or activities that you have coming up or, you know, how our listeners can connect with you. If you have an Instagram, a blog, Hi, well, I don't have uh, any we'll go quickly. plans right now, collectively wise. I do have a lot of ideas in my mind that I want to make possible now being inspired in this conversation. But, and I have a blog that I, I write some poetry sometimes, in it, but it's mostly in Spanish. Uh, so I don't know if maybe you can paste it when you... Um, when you upload the the podcast, yeah, yeah, I'm a... oh, la locura, I la impaciencia, because some of our listeners speak Spanish. Um, so it's basically madness and impatience. <laughs> I have to change the name, but that was what. I... <laughs> yeah, it's basically about the journey of life and you know finding meaning. You know, we were talking about purpose, but it's been my my process of trying to find make sense of of life yes thank you Mari so Mayor. I'm the and editor then in we'll go with Tariq the next. Imhotep journal um, and it's a graduate student student afrocentric research journal and we're going to be opening up submissions between the months of january to to may and oh, we have a new special project that you know some of you guys might be interested in submitting to um, and it's about building the canon, the the um, what are the essential texts to the Afrocentric community or the Afrocentric worldview um, to the field of Africology. So that's a project. I haven't uh, quite announced it to, to everyone yet. So I guess you guys have the inside mm-hmm. scoop. <laughs> um, but that that's a project that's coming up. Um, and, you know, always... You know, <laughs> there's always work to be done. So I'm sure other things will come up. Okay, so I um yeah, I can be found on um, my website is www.stacyallenallencde.com. The CDE just stands for Culture, Dance, and Education. Um, coming up, uh. At the end of this week, um, my dance company, Nia's Daughters Movement Collective, will be performing um, in the Kumba Celebration of Afro Dance. Um, so that's the most um, recent, well, not recent, because that would be like past, but that's <laughs> what's coming up next um, event that I have. Uh, it's a film screening. Lindsay, you going to put out information for tickets in the show notes? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah I, I can yeah I'll put that out now too and then, so the, the Kumba show I'm actually gonna yeah the Kumba show is coming up it's um, my dance company Dance Africana it's our second annual show um, it is on the night of the 31st which is the night of Kumba creativity um, the sixth day of Kwanzaa and it's to celebrate um, black dance and uh, dance of the African diaspora African dance um, and it's many names <laughs> 
And so um, the ticket information is, um, the tickets can be found at tinyurl.com slash Kumba2020. And Kumba is K-U-U-M-B-A 2020. And we're excited to see Stacey's piece as well. Um, we'll be doing it as a drive-in this year um, due to, you know, the obvious. So we can remain socially distant, but still connected. Because that's what we do as African people. So um, thanks again, um, Stacey, Tariq, and Mighty Mare. Y'all are phenomenal. Um, and be sure to connect with Gombo, the podcast. Um, the website is tinyurl.com slash Gumbo, the podcast. The Instagram is Gumbo, the podcast. And I hope you enjoyed your bowl.